bastard passers, or today maybe we'll say bastard pastas. Um, this is Lawrence of Arabia's favorite spiritual podcast, Another Bastard. With me is always Jason. Yep. And today we have someone new who we'll introduce in a second. She is, for me, um, and, and you're going to actually laugh at this or you're going to think it's not true, but when I think of Jason and I make fun of ourselves a lot for like, oh, these are the things that we're not doing right. These are the things that we do wrong. This is where, this is where we suck. And every now and then we may mention something we think we might be good at. But when I think of you... I'm like, yeah, this, she's really good at everything yeah. she does. Like I'm, you, I'm good at everything. You everything. are. Everything. Every, every time you talk about ministry, I'm like, oh, man, that's that. I, I should change everything I think now <laughs> because you really are awesome. I think you have a lot of great insight. I think you're one of, and I don't say slightly, the best pastors I've ever met. Um, I force myself into making you meet with me all the time because I like <laughs> just gaining wisdom and insight from you. And you would jokingly pretend like, oh, well, you can pray for me too. And I'm like, yeah, but my prayers aren't as good as your prayers because <laughs> oh. you're really good. There's a lot to live up to here. Uh, but this is Mandy Smith. She is the pastor of, how many C's are in it? U-C-C-C? Just one. Just two C's. I thought it was three C's. University it's Christian, Christian Church. Church. Okay, yeah. Okay. That's it. Two C's. UCC, this is a very cool church here in Cincinnati, right beside the University of Cincinnati, and you're half coffee shop, half church, and super cool. Um, first question, though, true or not true, there's a different Australian version of the Bible? <laughs> He's been very. Oh, he's been, it's been, so, been upside down. Upside down. I've been so excited. He's been so excited about this joke. For, like, for <laughs> I was like, "Do you have a different name for God in Australia?" No, no, no. That's too. There easy. actually is an Australian version of the Bible. But is it really? It's, it's tongue in cheek. Is it the same mate? It probably does. Yeah. <laughs> Do it it mentions surfing and shrimp. And, and he's like, "Crikey!" Yeah, probably. On the cross, he's like, "Crikey!" <laughs> Bollocks. Do you say bollocks? I don't know that... if Jesus would say crikey, because I think it actually is short for Christ. So then he'd be like saying himself. Oh, so it's a little more like, Peter, do you think I'm the crikey? <laughs> <laughs> you just created the Australian really, version true? of the Bible. I think crikey is... I didn't know that. I've never heard that. We need to... Somebody Google that. Um, what is bollocks? Is ah, that, is that English? British, right? Or is yeah, that British, that's you say Australian that? too. You know what it means, right? Uh, balls? Is it testicles? Yeah, 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 okay. Just as long as you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel weird because I actually knew that, but I didn't put that in there. Yeah. I just watched It's a, a great of, word. I just watch a lot of Buffy and uh, Spike says bollocks all the time. Yeah. That would only be... That's the title of Sex Pistols album, right? Yes. No. They're my, mine the bollocks? Yes. That's the only reference I would have for that word. Have you seen the movie Australia? No. They say beautiful. that Australia is one of the characters in that movie. And oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I think that director is known for his landscape yeah, scene. Yeah. Uh, but it's very, very beautiful. So but I'm sure it's beautiful. So dumb. It's one of, the, it's one of the three movies that I've watched and felt, I'm so dumb. Because I actually had no idea that Australia was attacked at the same time that Pearl Harbor was attacked. Um, just, and, a, just like in Darwin, I think one. Yeah, got, but that was people, the closest. But the, that, that was a part of this movie, and I'm like, what? Yeah. They attacked Australia because there was a port in Australia, which I had no idea. And I was like, oh, we focused so much. Well, that's a very American, right? Yes. Well, yes. we have no eyes. You guys, you guys won the war single handedly. <laughs> yeah, by ourselves. We yeah. We did. Um, anyway, so Mandy is Australian. Yes. <laughs> which is say, we a that? fun fact. Um, and your voice sounds weirdly, oddly like my Siri. Because I have Australian Siri. Oh, and my kids I am your Siri. Yeah, it actually sounds exactly <laughs> like that. like, hey Mandy. Take a ride on 
Sharon Lime. <laughs> that is not Australian. <laughs> what was that? That was sort of. It was like Cockney. Oh, all right. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> all that Australian talk tale. Um, what is your worst, funniest, whatever? One of your, I'm sure you have several uh, experiences as being a pastor. Yeah, there's many that came to mind, but the one that kept coming up was the day when I had officiated a wedding here, and um, soon after, at the meal afterwards, I think he was an uncle from the family, came up behind me. I was sitting at the table, and he stood behind me and just whispered in my hair, so I got this kind of warm whisper. (laughs) I hate the hot whispers. They're gross. Um... I've never seen a pastor with such nice looks. Oh my gosh! gosh. <laughs> I, it, uh, it is. It's so horrible. It, well, I, the, the, that's my. The number. funny thing is. Huh, did you? What did you say? Well, that's first. the thing. I th- I was sitting at the table with my whole staff. <laughs> who's mostly young Did men. anyone else hear it? Well, that's the thing. I thought they heard it. So to protect them, I laughed like mm. not a ladylike laugh. I was like. Ha! <laughs> Which I'm kind of glad now that I did, because if I didn't think that they heard it, I probably just would have, I don't know, something I would have lost my mind. very did quiet. He t- did he have a shoulder touch? I don't remember. Uh, I just oh, remember the a, words and the breath. Hey, what what goes through a person's head who thinks, I can go say this to, right. and not just, let's say, some random woman, which is horrible, but also like... The woman who is certainly like maybe in charge of this right. it's ceremony, my this is yeah. your space, yeah. like... That exactly. is so degrading and so horrible. So, hold on. Well, Did you tell anyone Well, this? then, because I laughed. Like, I assume they heard it. So, I was trying to... I was worried that they would be worried about me. So, I laughed really loudly. And then I, then they're like, what are you laughing about? And then I had to tell them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then I suddenly realized, now I have just told all these young men who work for me to think about my legs. Uh, see, I don't... So did then, any of them get up and go confront Well, they all wanted to punch him, of I course. Would've... So, then I was like... Oh, I'm sorry. I probably should have turned off my phone. Oh, great. He's calling me back to tell me I look nice today. Sorry about that. I thought you were professional, but no. (laughs) (laughs) We have to add in our whole introduction. Just being around around you guys, you know, I just forget. We bring everybody down. (laughs) That is totally true, actually. All right, sorry. Okay, so he... So then I tell my staff, and then they want to, you know, punch him. And then this, this, like awful thought that I've now just made all of my staff think about my legs comes over me and then I just suddenly felt really icky like he's now like I get up to get some dessert and he's now standing at the table getting coffee or whatever and I just was like I just don't want to be around this person like he's probably not even thinking about it anymore but then so I left early and went home and then I was like it's several days. Did he then. like look at you any other time? I don't that... think so. If he did, I wasn't paying attention because I just didn't want to be oh near my him. Gosh. So um, I was still fairly new in my role at the time, so I was still even figuring out what does it mean to be a woman who's a pastor. And the fact that he linked something very physical about me that usually is associated with sexuality. Right. Like you don't mention a woman's legs without it having. You know, I, right. I wish I had just said, like, yes, they have served me well now my whole life. <laughs> they let me run after my children. Or stabbing in the penis with your fork. <laughs> well, that <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, my legs are really good for kicking. They, um, Insensitive my spots. My gosh, I just can't so think then, of the audacity of that. I know. So, the fact that he did, like, 
I'm going through my mind about like maybe he's just paying me a compliment. What am I, you know? What why am I making such a big deal of this? And trying to think it through. And and then also often what happens when women have these situations is people people either say like don't take it so seriously and don't make such a big deal of it, right. or like um, you're not that good looking. Oh my like, gosh! What? Yeah, Jeez, like don't. Who are you hanging out with? <laughs> no, that's what that's, that's the normal. voices in the world oh that if you talk about these things, these are the kinds of things that they say, right, you right. know. And so um, I'm surprised all of those are in my head. Too. So, well, as soon as I got home and told my husband about it, he wasn't impressed. And he was like, where is this guy? Yeah. Who is he anyway? Yeah. If Jamie had been there, he would have done something. He would have I would have been. I would not have liked to have seen that. But right. anyway, what? So, so there's all these voices about like, maybe he only meant it this way. Or maybe he only meant it that way. And maybe I'm making too much of a big deal about it. But at the same time, I'm reliving the process that I went through to choose my outfit for that day. Which I actually took a good amount of time because there's no model for what a woman wears to put yeah, exactly. marry you. What do you wear? White dress, black dress, red yeah. dress? What do you wear? I don't know. Because with guys, I think it's just traditional it's black pretty, Well, that's the thing. You well, have to think so much about that. And because, for a wedding... And women actually look at other women's dresses compared to other things too. Like, why right. would you wear that? I've heard yeah. that several times. But it's so also an interesting part of the like the non-denominational church because the Presbyterian church I grew up in, you'd had a robe on. Well, sometimes that is really appealing to me that yeah. it's not about what you're wearing at all. Absolutely. But for me to do that in my context would actually draw attention to me because mm-hmm. I'd be the only person in my wearing context doing that now. Yeah, yeah. You know, So I that kind of want to make a uniform in a way. So what I actually did was I wore a plain black dress that looked to me as close to what a man... It was like a female version of the suit that a man would wear. And a man looks like a man in a suit. Like, it has a square shoulder, but it's not clingy or revealing or whatever. So I took a lot of time to choose this one dress, which is very tailored, but it's not clingy. And I'm checking, like, is it too low cut? Is it too, like... Short. It's sad that you have to think about it. I know. It took a lot of time. And I put this dress on. It's got... Like, so it's a long dress down to, like, mid... What is this? Calf. And um, buttons all down the front. Neck to pretty high. And um, sleeves that were here. So it wasn't even, like, revealing around the sleeve. And then... But because it had buttons all down the front, I actually double-checked, like, if I sit down to any of the buttons gap... It's so wild. You have to go through all this. And I picked it because it had a really big overlap where the buttons... Like, the two flaps meet, basically. So there was... I was checking there's no gapping. I had to stand in front of a light to make sure nobody can see through the thing. But the problem was... I actually chose, this is like getting down into the nitty gritty of the kind of stuff that women have to think about, but it was a long dress, but because it was fairly straight, I had to, it has a split, a slit, so you can actually walk, um, which was, and I actually, I remember sitting and practicing sitting in this thing (laughs) to make sure that the split didn't come up too high, and it came like right to at my knees when I sat down, so then I thought, I'll just put a book on my lap, like I have a photo of me with a book on my lap. To make sure that that's put... Like, this is how much thought I had put into this wow. before this man said this. Jeez. But the problem was, I thought, well, I'm going to wear some kind of tights or pantyhose or whatever. What is the most, like, l- the least uh, sexy looking pantyhose? And I think, Jeez. like, flesh tone is going to be the most well, neutral. It, you have to know that this guy's a dirty, stupid old man. Right, but anyway, I just... Like, I want you to know what I went <laughs> through process. to prepare I myself this day. This. And so I chose flesh tone, which is, like, the most neutral color. But, of course, under a black dress, that's going to bring attention to your legs. Mm. So now I know I'll wear the black tights, even though, in my mind, that's more associated with a stripper than flesh tone would be. But now, like... Jeez. So, like... You just went to get, like, 90 places that my mind didn't even I mean, go. And isn't this... Isn't one of the... The takeaways here is you shouldn't feel the need to justify anything. 
Well, but in, that's in the no first way, place where my mind in went. In no way should you feel the need to justify because yourself, which is what you're doing. The fact, not even the fact that he had whatever thoughts, but the fact that he had to come and tell you. The fearless, and not just tell you, but hot whisper the in your ear. The fearlessness of the like Dirty, you get like spin on that, man. Yeah, well, that's the thing. In I decided it was good for me to talk about it because otherwise it's this little intimate moment between me and him, which I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Fucking disgustingly creepy, man. Like, yeah. I... So, yeah, so I did go to all through all that, and I found myself first, after saying, like, maybe I'm making too much of a big deal about this, then I spent a while thinking, well, what did I do to bring this on myself? How did I make... Which just, like, you know, you hear about this with rape victims all the time. Right. It's not a rape in any way, but um, it was really good for me to realize, well, yeah, there's this natural thing of, like, how did I how did I dress in a way that was inappropriate to draw attention to myself? And then, um, actually, it triggered some memories that I'd had of ways that men had behaved inappropriate toward, like, physically towards me when I was huh. a teenager. So it triggered, which is wow. also what the locker room yeah. talk has been doing lately. Like, I've been reliving moments when I was groped by strangers as a 12-year-old and all kinds of stuff like that um, as a result of this. And so... Um, it was really interesting for me, and I think he was probably trying to resolve. Like, I've never seen a woman in this role before, and I've, I've, this is no, the position of authority. Pick. Well, but what I'm like, I'm not justifying it, but I think this is what happens when when women step into new roles that people who haven't seen that before are trying to make this like. I find her attractive, but at the same time, she's in this role that only men have filled before, and I'm trying to resolve that in my mind. He misbehaved in his ability to resolve right, that. Right. I'm not justifying his way of deciding to figure that out. But um, I find myself always at that moment in people's life where they just... I can see it in their face where they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Huh. And and they may not have had an opportunity to well, and for me... Which you're sort of tied to the same faith tradition that I am. It is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. It's something completely uh, foreign to have a woman pastor. I've had, for you, I've had female pastors my whole life. Presbyterian, yes. Yeah. yeah. The best pastor I ever, the Presbyterian church I worked at, the best pastor I worked at was a woman mm-hmm. who was caring and kind and, and she was awesome. good at her job, right? amazing. The person that took her place was. Everything this man was And he ended up being fired for making a sexually explicit comment to an elder of the church at an elder meeting. Wow. In front of like 30 other people. And then had the audacity to defend the comment. And then other people in the church rallied around his defense of the comment with the same sort of justification of, oh, well, why are you so sensitive? Or it's just, just a joke. Or, and it's one of those things that I was like, I can't. And I feel like I have a reputation for being a rabble rouser. And being inappropriate and being inflammatory. Yeah, people leave our church all the time. <laughs> it's always Justin. It's always me and my stupid <laughs> conviction. But I would never say anything like those things. Yeah. I've and there's there's other pastors in the city that I've heard say probably not on the same, but things that are equally as offensive to me or equally as staggering in their audacity. And I'm like, I have this reputation of being a a firebrand or somebody outside the pale, right. but I would never in my life. Yeah, but the first time I ever met that dude, we went to a restaurant with him, and he like shook his glass, like, "Hey, sweetheart, can you give me some?" And I was like, oh, "You treat people really bad." I well, yeah, you're disagreeing with people's ideas. If yeah. I understand. yeah, I would never treat. Do you put the same like thought into what you wear on Sunday mornings? Oh yeah, I have uniforms basically of things that I would wear every Sunday. I do worry about what I wear on Sunday morning. Not in that level, but I, I won't wear... You always dress nice. I have to dress nice if I'm preaching. If I'm just leading worship, I don't want... When, when Legend started, I was a worship leader every other week. I would just wear whatever. Jeans right, and t-shirts, right. fine. I cannot... I can't wear shorts if I'm preaching. Oh, no. Because men don't wear shorts. Is this lesson oh, I learned a long time ago. I have some nice ones. 
Um, I think about it, but not into how nice I am. I will, every now and then I'll have this. I, I have totally probably preached this exact same outfit before. But, and my wife will get mad. Like, why would you even wear those jeans? But I'll think, oh, does this make me look too much like cool, hip pastor? I don't want anyone to think that. So maybe I'll wear this nice shirt. And I was like, oh, well, then will people come in and think, oh, look, he's all dressed nice. And that's about, like, right. I think I go through... But in the end, it's like, oh, I look good in this today. I'm aware. I'm aware of this. Well, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer when I was in high school, and so I think what I love about it is the way that it's a part. It's a language. Sure. You know, we are communicating right. something about that's ourselves totally that way. And so, if we are professional communicators, then of course that's a small part, not right. a, not the whole right. thing, of course, but it is a part of what we want to communicate. And for me, everything that I want to, that I choose to wear or not wear on a Sunday morning is getting people's attention enough to, to well it's not about getting people's attention it's about communicating enough about myself for them to trust me right for me to feel like she is like with my clothes I communicate I'm current but I'm not a sellout to the culture so I like I want to be the kind of pastor who knows the culture but also is not a sellout to it right. and so I communicate that with how I dress and um and I and I think that's probably like first first um, response. We we set, we judge people by how they look, right. but then hopefully you're wearing something that's neutral enough that after that they're not even thinking about right. it. Like right. you don't want it to be a constant distraction. So sparkly things and froofy things, and like I'm usually it's usually fairly plain and right. all one color, like not patterns, um, and all of the like issues to do with. Um, Modesty and all that kind of stuff right. have to come into play, which you know is true yeah. for men as well. I remember getting visible tattoos and just saying to myself, "I firmly committed myself to the nonprofit sector at this point." Like once I had tattoos that were visible, although I think I, that's becoming less. I think and that's less. Less. Now yeah. I'm seeing lots of business women with nose rings, right. lots of visible tattoos. Like there's this one dude that comes to Red Trail all the time, and he's like super fancy salesman, and he's got a big neck tattoo. And I'm like, huh. does that work for you? And I'm that's like, funny. But he's a good looking. He's always wearing nice suits. He's always looking right. good. So you get this suit with juxtapositions with this uh, neck tattoo. But well, I guess it's about knowing your audience right. too. Like that would totally work in some churches and not in other yeah. churches. Right. And so it's also a subtle way of saying like, I'm one of you. Right. Whatever it is or that I'm you choose. Or I'm not one of you. That, yeah. when, I were, when I was a youth mm-hmm. pastor, I intentionally got these tattoos to say... I'm not the guy in the suit and the robe up front, right, morning, right. which was an important lesson for my kids. And it turned out to be an important lesson for my parent volunteers who weren't connecting with that part mm. of the church either. They didn't mm. feel comfortable with that either. Mine is 100% comfortability. If I'm not comfortable, because especially because my preaching style is very just, this is me up here. Right, right. And if I feel weird, especially about what I'm wearing, like there's one dude who always gets on me about like wearing a hat because I wear a hat every day of my life. And uh, we're had to preach on Sundays, and he's like, "Oh, you shouldn't wear it." Oh, for the old like men taking off their hats kind of. I know. I think just I have no idea why. Um, we have an old lady who thinks that, yeah. but then she's we upset about it. Um, but not for me. Only if you did. That's right. She that's that's true. Oh, Justin me. can't go. Oh, um, we could do inappropriate stories in that yeah, direction she too. She really, really likes me a lot. And um, <laughs> but. Uh, but it's just about, I feel really comfortable. Yeah, and it's about And I need to feel comfortable. Are, yeah. And so if I'm not, because, you know, otherwise, if I'm uncomfortable and up there, then I'm horrible. Right. It's an interesting subtext of ministry that I don't think I was ready for. You have to operate on 50 layers at a time. There's so Everything's being thought about for you. Mm. And if you're not thinking about it, somebody else is. Right. And adding being a woman to that, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. in a denomination that's weird about that. Right. Or that's struggling with that. Now, do you feel like you get pushback from new people walking into the church, especially 
um, you know, someone who maybe is not Christian background, do they come in and care at all? Or do you get more from people who have a lot of Christian baggage in the background? I don't get many people, I don't get pushback from people who aren't Christians because they don't really. They don't, yeah. yeah. They would think Unless it's weird. they're all this conversation. Yeah, I think so too. And I think in a context like this, it's actually good for our mission for us to have a female pastor because the church, in this country at least, is seen as this uh, power force institution, male-dominated thing that wants to push its way into politics and tell right. everybody what to do. So to have a feminine voice instead, um, I think it's kind of healing to that. So I don't get much pushback from um, the It's an interesting thing because if you look at the churches that don't want women in the leadership roles... They're relatively small in terms of the percentage of Christians in America. <clears throat> but they're loud. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot I've been surprised because I go to speak at different denominations and I've been surprised how officially they will have it. Yes, okay. we approve That's of this. But actually in practice, when I, I mean, speak to the women... The big mega church by Retro would be the exact same way. Like outside, oh yeah, it's great, but really inside. Yeah, the, the... you. We don't know who that church is. Yeah, figuring out how to actually navigate. Right. Because what it requires, I kind of, I don't know if it's fair to equate it to slaves being released in this country, because I don't know a lot about the history, and forgive me if this is not a good equivalency, but um, it's one thing to say, you're free now. It's another thing for them to know how to live in this place and, you know, to set up a home. If if you've been two or three generations of slavery... You might need somebody to show you the things that slaves haven't done in the culture or the right. We've actually, we've run into, this was true at the Presbyterian Church where we had a female pastor who really wanted to fight particularly the feminist battle. And it became, it became the one thing that they were doing and then it undercut other things that they were doing. Right. Like they, they weren't doing ministry well because everything was a fight. Yes. And They're that's that's So about proving themselves that... Because in that denomination, it wasn't a fight. I, and multiple times I thought, if you didn't bring that up, I don't... And, and at the time, I wasn't aware that I, I am now, that this person was feeling tension that I might not have been aware of. And that's right. what sort of spurred the... But at the same time, that was because we've got a couple of pastor friends in Oakland who I feel like are fighting that fight too. Because right. their denomination has fought that fight. But for you don't have to prove anything to us because I'm... I don't even know what you're talking about. Sure. Right. So yeah, how do women have a space to kind of process all that stuff without that angst becoming a part of their ministry or it undercutting their ability to right. well, be a person in ministry? Because right. I'm a person, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus before right. I'm a woman. Because right, right, right. what, uh, the first thing that when I met you that I noticed is like, oh, what I want to learn from this person was that you were someone who was artistic, but also a pastor at the same time. Because uh, forever people were telling me, like, oh, you should find a mentor, find a mentor. I mean, anyone that I was slightly like, okay, maybe that person was usually a very charismatic personality that never had, uh, like Matt Massey would have been one of them, right. that didn't have time to meet with a dude like me all the time because they're doing bigger and better things. Um, or they were, there are all these guys who I'm like, there's, there's nothing about leadership. that I want to be. They want to be leadership. Leadership, leadership goals, like... Growth, like measurements and charts, and I'm like, oh. But I remember I actually ran into you here at the coffee shop one time, and you said something like really off the cuff, and I was like, she's awesome. (laughs) And and then when I one of the things I gained from you was, oh, there is um, sort of a right-brained 
pastor way to do things, although I don't think they're saying right brain and left brain anymore. I think no, that's, I a, think that's, that's an old 80s. thing, yes. Um, but uh, but there is a, that, a different way to be a pastor, a way to be a leader, a way, uh, and I like, and I, I guess I never attribute this to being female or not as much as just being more artistic, the way that you think about things, the way that you process things. We were actually just talking downstairs that one thing you do really well is that we were talking about the argument with politics and things like that going on is that you point people to Jesus or back to the way Jesus, as opposed to engaging the argument from a, Hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, or I think this, or you think that. Um, I'm glad you think I do that. I, a lot of well, every time I've ever talked to you, you're like, well, what about Jesus? I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's, you know what? It's, it's an easy go-to. You don't have to think. Like right. anytime there's a question, just mention Jesus. It's like Sunday school. <laughs> Jesus. Well, the funny thing is, in any way that you think I'm good at my job, like this is like a real ego boost for me today, I guess. But um, somehow this is all connected to what we've already been talking about because um, I have been confronted with the fact that I can't do ministry the way that we have learned ministry has to be done. And if it means having a five-year plan and a spreadsheet and all the ministry programs or whatever, that it usually has to become a, a business or management approach to ministry. Right. Then and I that's absolutely the way you can't. think it's set, traditionally been done, right? Well, in my in what I've yeah. seen, I think actually it's a very new thing for us to have the, the management approach to ministry. Right. But the the culture, the church approach that I come from, that's the way I've seen it done, and right. that's the way it's often valued. And people often are like, show me this and tell me that. And I'm like, well, we just follow Jesus, you know. So it's funny to me because if you think that looks like I'm good at what I do, then that's encouraging because um, that was a huge confrontation where I, I was, I, I just kind of felt like I smacked into a wall of realizing I can't do ministry in the way that everybody says it's going to work. Does that mean I'm not called to ministry? Right. Mm-hmm. And had to trust that whatever it was that felt different to me God could use if God has made me to be who I am and he's also calling me to ministry there must be a way for me to be me and to be in ministry but that was like a year or two process of very painful wrestling and it was kind of um it was purifying to my sense of call I think right and so I think for all of us men or women um have to just be drawn back to that faith and that sense of it's a deep peace I think which is which has been huge for me my whole my whole sense my whole time of being called into ministry since bible college because when i was in my 20s i'm attending a bible college where there is a famous professor who has just written a book about what the women what women can and can't do in the church right at the time when i'm in my 20s who's that i don't know we don't we don't i like to eat so okay, gotcha. I'm not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> I'm just I've never heard that story before. Yeah, that, so of all book. of that was huge. Done, like 13 Lessons in Grace or What anything? the Bible Says About Women. <laughs> what the Bi- There's a book called there What the Bible Says and About Women. And it came women? out at the Bible well, College I was Google attending. Search, the answer. Did, yeah, it came out at the Bible College I was attending when I was at a really tender moment in my development in my 20s. Well, and back then women could really just be pastors and I was told all the time what I couldn't do yeah it was like you can't be an elder you can't be a preacher I'm not that I wanted to be any of those things right right, at that time but there was a huge conflict in me because on the one hand I just felt the Lord calling me and it was just like come and run with me it's going to be an adventure and I have all these things that we're going to do you know and it was without caveats and on the other hand, the Bible and the context that I was in seemed to be saying, but don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And by the way, 
we don't mean it, but you kind of feel like a second class citizen now as a result mm. of that. None of that was happening in my sense of my relationship with God. And so um, around that same time, Jamie did a word study. He was doing a Greek class and did a word study on the word Hesukia in the First Timothy 2 passage. Oh, which is huge. Yes. And so um, this word means in a peace. Like it says, women should learn in silence. And he was the study helped him see that. It's not about never speaking. It's about having a sense of inner peace. Um, that was such a slap in the face to me because at the same time, this one passage is the, the source of my disquiet. Mm. The same passage is telling me, but whatever it means for you, you need to have peace. Mm. And so at that moment, I'm kind of proud of myself that I just somehow chose to sit in the tension of that and say, God is one. I don't understand how all these pieces come together, but he is the same God is in the Bible, is in my heart, is in... Um, the church and I don't understand yet how that's one but that is one Mm -hmm. and I just have to keep seeking him and trust that if he's calling me he has a place for me Mm -hmm. and I don't have to fight I think that was because I was wrapped up in lots of reading on feminism and stuff at the time and and there was this sense of like God's called me and you have to give me a ministry Mm -hmm. because of that instead to say like well if God's called me then it's not my problem right and the funny thing is I've watched people look at the way I do it and and it's almost like it would disqualify me from being stepped into my call if I had an angsty, ambitious, right. self-preservation spirit, which is, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I have every right to be angry and to want to fight because I have so much opposition. Right. But at the same time, it's actually purified my call and my faith to say, and I think all of us, you know, with you wrestling with, can I be an artist and be in this call? I think for every way that we don't feel like we belong, to draw that back to God and say, how are you calling me as you've created me to be? As a limited human being who needs to rest, who doesn't always have ideas, who runs out of energy, who feels like a failure half the time, who doesn't look like the norm in one way or another because I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too black or I'm too white or I'm too female or male or whatever. I'm too quiet, I'm too artistic. Um, all of those are lies and I think mm. they, they keep us from stepping into the call that God has for us. And so... Um, as hard as that's been, that has uh, that that trust, and it it serves me well in my ministry today. Because as you guys know, there are so many times where things just don't come together, right. and I'm seeing that with the way we talk about homosexuality too. Like on the one hand, this; on the other hand, that. How do we make all this true? Right. And I don't I don't even know the answers to most well, I, of I those know the things. For that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like if God is one and God is good, then. We're the ones who don't see how those things come together yet, but they must come together right. in some way. And it's if really we're patient good. and faithful, then we will find them out. Well, and be able to holding that holding that tension is anathema to American culture. Yes. Like not no no assurance. No, I know what the answer to this is. The amount of times I've said to people lately, I don't know. I don't know. That's you, beautiful. You walk me through how this works. Oh, we can walk through this together. Right. And that's the only thing I have. The only thing I have for you is presence. I have no answers. As we walk through this together, because in this, we ran into this our first year where we said something to somebody. We were like, "What has Jesus said about that?" I don't know. You tell me what Jesus has right. said, and that answer wasn't the right answer. Like yeah. it was really hard. It was amazing them. how many times that is not the right answer for you. They're like, "Well, that's not what I wanted to hear." Right. Hey, I have a practical question for you. Um, I think I know the answer, but uh, so when you say, "Hey, we just do what Jesus wants us to do." 
How does that come into play when you think about the different ministries that your church does or different vol- how to organize or maintain volunteers and right. things like yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, that sounds really airy-fairy. There no, are definitely... no, no, I mean, I think I get it mentally, but I was yeah. so articulated. I've we still have a, we have a mission statement here, and we have a sense of our culture and who we are and what we're called to What's your to mission here? statement, just to be... Sharing the love of Jesus with Uptown Cincinnati and developing lifelong kingdom leaders. Wow, have you memorized that? <laughs> <laughs> you have to memorize yeah. mission statements. Right, hold on. Not to knock on mission statements, but isn't everyone's mission statement almost the same? Well, I didn't like, write what? that one. It was like it was in place before I did. Was Dr. Faust plant this church? Yes, he did. Uh, in like the seventies, eighties, eighties, late eighties, late eighties. Yeah. Got it. Was that his mission statement? No, Troy created it for me, and I like it. Like no. we don't need to change right. it because right. that's basically. But does it really come into use? Like, yeah. how many else bounces off that? And when we're making decisions, we come back to like, how is it helping us do that? Even the cafe is like, how are we sharing the love of Jesus and developing kingdom leaders through the cafe? So, um, so we're always like, I think you have to have a sense of who you are and what your call is in the particular place where you are and according to the gifts that you have. But then, um, if we're a prayer for worshiping people who are constantly in scripture, then people are going to naturally come up and say like, uh, I'm feeling called to be doing this. Mm. How does, and if we feel like it fits in our mission, then we want to come alongside people and say, sure, how can we help you make that happen? How can we help you fulfill the call that God has on your life? And then, um, so it's not like we're like totally like every morning being like, what will the church be today? You know? So there definitely is a structure and there is a process, but, um, it's interesting because now there's, there's design thinking. It's, there's words for that now. Right. Well, what is the words? Design thinking. Like there's a name. Yeah. There's a name. Google that and you will feel so affirmed in your approach. Design thinking. Which is, yeah. So it has a different approach than the business world way of management. And the idea, like there was something recently even that we've been talking about making a plan for something, but I just feel so stuck in the thought that I need to make a five-year plan now without knowing what's going to happen in six months time. So I can plan now the first step and the first step will help us see the next step. And in some way, I think if you make a five-year plan, you stop talking to God, you ask him how to develop the five-year plan, but then you're like, we've got the plan. We don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, what would it look like instead to say like, we sense a call in this direction we're going to assess if this is how God is calling us and take a lot of time to pray about it and bring people in. And then we're going to take what seems to be right the first step. And then we're going to pray about the next step. Hmm. And so we're actually then as leaders able to um, model what it looks to follow God instead right. of them having trust in us because we shaped the five-year plan. Hmm. How often are you at the, the point where you're thinking, what's next? Constantly. Constantly. I feel well, like that's constant, Yeah. Especially and with young urban, people... Especially right now, I feel like... In an urban... Well, I mean, I think the whole American church, we were talking about this earlier, is just in constant upheaval at the moment. Right. So right. I don't think there's any, like, cruising. Well, and going back to what you talked about earlier about feeling okay as an artist and a pastor, feeling sort of off the reservation, we made a decision early on. We planted not to follow the typical church plant model. Not on purpose. It just kind of happened. It, it's what happened. Every church we tried. Every really church plant hard. assessment told us we were going to fail at this. Right, and, and we they were told we were going to yeah, take that. And they were right. Walt Hastings. If we'd have done... <laughs> if we so mean. But if we'd have done what they told us to do, we would have failed. <laughs> if we would have followed the model, we both would have burned out and we'd have been out of this a long right, time ago. They right. wouldn't have survived. And so there is a way, there is a sense where we're... Once you say that, once you say, I'm not doing it that way, I'm now making my own benchmarks. Or looking for my own benchmarks, my own new way of evaluating, my new way of understanding things. While doing our right. best to say, Jesus, what is... 
Is right. this the right path for us? Is this the right thing? Right. And all that comes with is a sense of, okay, what's next? Right. right. And then you know your need for God and what beautiful ministry grows right. from that. Well, that's, I mean, my rally cry every month when we have our prayer meeting is the only way that we're still here, guys, because you've done something, not because we've done anything. Right. Like, I can't attribute it to anything we've done. Right. And that doesn't feel good, but I think that's the point. It doesn't that feel good. But yeah. it, it doesn't feel bad, but right. It doesn't feel, it's not like, yay! It's and like, we've been, right. We've been really lucky that the people around us are patient with that. That's right. Good. They're, that's they're not, they're not like, Hey, you have to justify this. Hey, right. they're yeah. willing to they're willing to wait where they need to wait. They're right. willing to use their talents where they can't. And so they're not putting their trust in you. They're watching how you put your trust in God, and that's what I think our call actually is. Yeah. Right. I often say, I'm not don't don't mistake my sense of joy or freedom that you might see in me for comfort. Right, right, I'm constantly right. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm just used to the discomfort now. And there's actually a sense of freedom that comes from like it's not totally on me. God cares about this place more than I do. Right. He has been here before me. He will be here after me. He has given me this charge to be listening to him here and to be guiding other people in some way. But um, I'm I feel free because I feel like ultimately it's not my it's not it's not entirely my concern. You know. How often do you get tired and want to quit? Get tired every day. Don't want to quit that often. Yeah, I would say that's probably me. I get tired. Right now, I'm at a point where I'm more tired, but not just because of ministry, it's because of my whole life, uh, than I ever have been. Yeah, I don't ever often get... every. It's only a weird time where I'm like, I should just not do this anymore. Yeah. But I, I do feel like lately I've been tired a lot more. Yeah, more. it's one hard my, work. It's impossible work, actually. One of my wife's... One of my wife's <laughs> benchmarks... Wives, yes, one, of, one of my wives, <laughs> One of my wife's... We also are that kind benchmark, of... Benchmark. <laughs> one of my wife's benchmarks for how well I'm doing mental health-wise is if I say... I should just go back to teaching. Mm. That things are bad, mm. and she's quick to point out that she's like teaching wasn't paradise. One of the milestones was really for right, Jason's right. lives was the year that his teacher's license expired. It was oh, terrifying because I could no longer. This is it. After this, I'm done. Well, I'm the only person You're I know who left teaching in an urban environment but still loved it. Mm. If right. tomorrow Jesus said, "Jason, go back to teaching," hops, I'm gone. Right. I'm gone and right. excited about it. And that's not because I don't like ministry. Sure. I really liked that job. Right. And leaving that job was hard. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about the future of ministry because I, I was actually just thinking of this. I I feel like I'm one of the few people I know, and you you would actually be an exception to that too, who went to sort of these uh, a biblical institution of higher learning that had, sort of had its heyday in the '90s, um, and felt called to ministry, went to that kind, followed that path, and I'm still doing ministry today. Um, I feel like there's so many people who gave up on it or stopped and to, for whatever reasons. Um, but I also feel the different pool now that whatever that prepared me for, why it was awesome and it brought me to here, uh, the future is something completely different right. of what ministry is or what being a pastor is or being even the church in the United States. Mm-hmm. What do you think, if you have any thoughts of like yeah, hey, the future of where thoughts. ministry is or where it's going or where it's even gone? Yeah. It's funny because I grew up in Australia, which is very... Well, it's kind of pre-Christian. They've never really had a mm-hmm. Christian revival. But their evangelical world, so to speak, is very similar to America. That's what I've gotten uh, from like Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost. It doesn't have the political stuff that you guys have here. It's not as much enmeshed with as enmeshed with that stuff as you guys are. And I remember the first time I came to church here, the church I attended, they were talking about boycotting some company that makes bleach. I can't remember who it was. 
because they were advertising <laughs> during a show that had sexual scenes oh, or something. Oh man, that bleach. And yeah, I can't remember who it was, but you haven't bought it since. Well done. No, Church. there you go. And I just Clots. that was a really strange thing for me because I was like, yeah, good luck with that. They're not going to listen to us Christians. We got no voice because in Australia. It's like 3% of the population mm, would right. be regular church attending type Christians. I mean, I think they still true today? I don't know. I think that it has grown in some ways, but... Um, is there a major religion? Or? It is officially a Christian nation. Right. But it's usually, it's kind of through the tradition of, we came from England and they were traditionally right. a Christian nation. And so we've inherited that. And if you asked anybody to choose a religion, they'd probably say, well, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu, so I must be Christian. But they're not huh. necessarily right. walking in faith. Can I ask a really dumb, unrelated question real quick? Sure. How? <laughs> Why do you have to say that? Before well, you're because it really is kind of How integrated are white people and the Aborigines in Australia? Is it like, hey, we are too separate? We don't even, or like, especially when it comes to like context of religion, like, is it just like, yeah, we haven't gone there yet? I think it's more like the um, Native American situation here than the African American situation. No, yeah. is that true? There's not very many left. Oh, I didn't know that. For some reason, I thought the whole intercontinent was Aboriginals. And then the outer crusts were the white people. No. That's not true You need to watch more documentaries. I do need to watch more documentaries. (laughs) Um, No, I think last time I looked, there's like 160,000 Aboriginal people in Australia. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you like push them onto sort of like They have been in reservations in the cities. They're often in poverty. And so it's similar to the Native American situation. I just thought they were almost two separate cultures that didn't interact. Well, I remember having two boys in my whole school life who were Aborigines. So wow. that's there's just not that many of them. There's huge people, you know, populations coming from overseas, mm-hmm. but the Aboriginal people really don't have. It's it's very similar to the Native American gotcha. situation here. I'm always amazed because we never hear about Native Americans here. Yeah, right. Um, hey, was it Chris Rock? When's the last time you saw two Indians? Because <laughs> you never see. Yeah, you uh, never Native did. Americans ever. Yeah, it breaks my heart. Sorry. Were we was, talking about something else? Yes, oh, the future, we the future of the church. Yes, sorry. Um, I just, you said that and I went straight to like... Although, interestingly, one of the most beautiful worship times I've ever been a part of was an Aboriginal worship time in Australia. Like a Christian Aboriginal yeah, worship time? Yeah, That's kind of cool. Um, why am I saying all of that? Oh, so growing up in that context, like there were like three kids that I knew who were Christians in my whole school growing mm. up. And so you just get used to this being like, we don't have the the luxury to be fighting over doctrinal issues because we need each other because yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. not many of us right. and um, also we don't have any resources so we just have to be this underground kind of movement not that it's secret which but, the you know, church has always thrived exactly right. and so um, there's a way in which that's really healthy and so I'm not as terrified as many Americans are because I've seen how we might be getting smaller but it's also kind of purifying yeah and so this moment in America, in the American church, is really hard because I feel like everything is just like the ground under us is shaking and all the institutions we've always clung to are falling apart. And everybody that I talk to across all kinds of denominations, whether it's like issues, you know, breaking up over um, moral and social issues or um, like, you know, do we let women lead? What about homosexuality? All that stuff. Or whether it's like, we're just shrinking, we've got no money left, so everybody's got to lose their jobs. Or I'm also seeing a huge breakdown between, um, you know, as a post-Christian kind of shift is happening in this country, many times the inner city kinds of churches or the or the urban or um, coastal kinds of places that are feeling that post-Christian shift the most, often they're feeling this disconnect with the denominations that support mm. them or the suburban churches that support them because 
the people in the suburbs are like, just send out, you know, 5,000 postcards before you plan a church and you'll get 500 people on your first Sunday. What's the big problem? Right. Why are you not successful? Just right. do what we've always done. Why can't you do this anymore? And so many right. people I know have lost their funding from their denomination right. or the suburban churches because they're seeing that because they're just not doing ministry the way that it has been done in the past or right. success looks different, you know. So um, it's heartbreaking as almost everybody that I know who's in ministry is experiencing that in one way or another. But at the same time, like I love what you guys are doing. And I think you're the beginning of people who aren't going to be going through all that upheaval because you're just not going to have the assumptions that my right. generation had. Right. Where like I'm going to walk into a full-time paid Christian job and right. it's going to be rosy, you know. Well, it was that book, uh, The Shape of Things to Come by Alan Hurst. Yeah. What, they were in like 1996 yeah. or something. I read it in 2002. Or no, 2004, I was on an internship uh, after my first ministry job. And it was this internship, and they were like, it had all these books. I started reading it, and they hinted at almost exactly what we're doing. And I remember being terrified. Like, yeah. but wait a minute, my entire education has prepared me for this. Right. This is going a different direction. And, and that's the question. What does Christian education look like now right. in the future? Because we still need that Bible training. We still need people. Yeah. And I think in some ways we need it more because it's really hard work to figure out how to connect the Bible to this crazy culture. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think we need that still. But the amount of money and resources that go right. into building all these institutions well, and education. Because I think what we're seeing is a lot of churches who are promoting or hiring or training from within, which is awesome. But they're training them in how to do ministry in a practical sense. And that's awesome. Right. But I do feel like we will come to a time where we're like, Bible knowledge-wise, we may have thrown something out. That I applied know. for, before I went to St. Christian University, I applied for grad school at Asbury. Mm. And I wanted to do it remotely. And um, I filled out my application for Asbury. And it asked me, do you drink alcohol or smoke? And I'm like 31 at the time. I'm like, Yes. And I sent it back in thinking, oh, this is just for their undergrad. It's not a big deal. And I get a call from the person who's at the time is the, like the dean or whatever the top position was at the school saying, hey, walk me through why you put this on the application. I was like, well, because I'm a grown-ass man who doesn't need to hide. Is that actually what you said? Yeah. I, cause I was really, because, well, they want Jason A. They, my, he was going to pay cash for his degree. Super grades. Wife's, my, I'm good at school. My wife has a lucrative career. We're the kind of people that look like donors later on. People can get back. They wanted me to come to school. They worked really hard at it. And I was like, well, I'm not a 15-year-old sneaking liquor from my father's alcohol cabinet. I'm a grown man who does this. And they're like, what would you think about just just not telling us that you did that? So cause we can't let you into school if you drink. I'm like, I'm 31. And they, the, so this person That's was out. That's this, But the, and this person said, we get all of our funding from traditional Methodist churches where drinking is not okay and so you can't come to school here and do that i was like you know that people that go to your school drink and smoke right, right. You, you're in central kentucky right they all drink bourbon and smoke tobacco <laughs> and wow and but this person was like well can't you just not right and my my thing ended up being look if you've got to disconnect me over this we're going to disconnect over other things later sure and so this is probably just break to break but it was that's sort of a mantra that, that's our mission statement of our church yeah you might as well find out now find out now because <laughs> you're going to get mad later <laughs> if you don't like it now you're not going to like it later that's great <laughs> That, that comes back to the whole thing. Like, how do we stay true to the mission of training people for ministry if we also have to be keeping everybody who donates anything yeah. happy? If we're not truly able to, like, listen to right. God, read scripture and say, how does this connect to the mission of the church right now in this place and for this time? 
um, you know, that's going to get us in trouble with the people in the churches who are not doing yeah. that, but yeah. who are sending money to help us do that. Have you ever made a decision based on, oh, this person gives a lot of money to the church, we should probably do this? We personally haven't at the church, as far as I know. In fact, we actually have decided not to know who's giving money. Yeah, for I don't know. Me and Jason don't know anything. Yeah, for that reason. I mean, I know some because I because we're such a type of community, I know who's doing what, but I was like, there was one time where I was like, do I want to make this person mad? <laughs> they really, and I'm like, well, it is what it is. Well, honestly, it's another discipleship opportunity to talk to them about like, why do we care so much about this? Right. You know, yeah. let's have a conversation about that. And, um, it's, I think that's one of the hardest things about our job is to actually walk people through their own disagreements with us. As pastors, not as victims of their disagreement, right. you know, there was someone in the church who, who, when I became lead pastor said, you're just really not ideal. We love you, but you're not ideal. And, you know, of course I get defensive in that place, but then how do I actually still pastor them right. and even pastor them through that particular issue? That's tough, man. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. But then part of that is, yeah, I'm... I mean, yeah. for me, I'm absolutely not. I mean, there's I'm actually, now that you mentioned that, there are people I know, so Jason and I switch every other week. There are people I know who prefer Jason's style, right. and probably people who like yep. different things, and that frustrates me and makes me mad, and there's some Sundays where I'm like, I don't have anything to offer because that person doesn't like what I, mm-hmm. but, I but who knows, you might be challenging to them in a way right. that they might not expect. I had a friend who was a pastor of a suburban church and they were trying to increase voices from the community preaching and they asked, uh, there's a dude there who's African American, he started preaching there and they noticed a drop on attendance on the, cause they had it on a scheduled basis and on the mm-hmm. third Sunday, whatever wow. the month, it tends to be down like 30% and he lost his mind, which he should have lost his mind the next Sunday on the church and brought yeah. and then I got real they blew pissed. up the schedule they, they wouldn't That's tell you who was, was preaching say, we well I got real mad at a person they don't really go to our church anymore and what they would say well what is I was like if you come to legend you're getting us you're mm-hmm. not getting me or you're not right. getting Jason like so if you don't um, <laughs> <laughs> who's and he was just a person who's not the greatest person in the world but anyways uh <laughs> But now, it would, now it would all the people that go to our church wonder if you're talking about them. Yeah. You know? Which, uh, so when we first time. started our first little segment, we would, there's a guy who goes to our church who does really, oh, Joel Willison, you know Joel. Yeah. Uh, we called him Lord Voldemort. And, uh, and because he does some really funny things that are kind of horrific at the same time. So we would tell a different story about him every week and they're actually pretty uh, astounding. But <laughs> what I didn't realize, there was a lot of people at our church who had no idea who that person was and they were listening to our podcast. They all thought like, it was them. And they were like, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? It was like oh, a big deal no. to find out. And then when they all found out, like, we were like, we're not keeping this secret. We just thought everyone knew. He is particularly it's, proud of all And it's way funnier to call him Lord Voldemort than to call him by his real name. Oh, how and, funny. Anyways, uh... Hey, I think I answered that question. Yeah, you did. I wish that we had more time because I love hearing from you. It really is um, Mary Beth. Do you know Mary Beth? Yeah. She always asks me all the time, she's like, did you meet with Mandy this month? Because she <laughs> always can tell whenever I've met with you because she's like, you're beaming and glowing and encouraged. Oh, man. Well, that's just me. It is totally true. No, it is. Uh, I really do when I think of people who... I would want to emulate or be as a pastor. You are shining example. Well, that's an encouragement, and um, it's a part of my mission to develop lifelong right. kingdom leaders. And you make <laughs> well done mission. I need a mission or two. I don't have any. Mine's like you get, totally have a get, mission. Mine's like get through today. No, you have a mission. You just may not have put it in words. 
But uh, you totally are on yeah, a man on mission. That I draw. Yeah. Oh. And if you're interested, Mandy's published regularly. Oh yeah, we should talk about this. We got her. We're gonna call this section. Her plugs. stuff is worth reading for you if you're in. I read your stuff all the time. You, you so you've upped my book budget significantly in the last year. How so? But anytime you recommend a book, all right. So let's oh. you talk about it. But I bought. I just bought the um, Churches of Movement. Oh, you recommended yes. the other day, and and the interesting thing—I don't think you know this—multiple times you say things. I'm like, I've been thinking that exact thing. You articulate it better than I do. The art of curating worship. The art of one. curating worship was the change the way that I think next about. one, Faithful Presence by David Fitch. Okay, comes out in December. Oh, I, did Anthony talk about that in that post he just did? I don't remember. Somebody that. said David Fitch in there somewhere. Um, but you put your first book was the Ecclesiastes one, right? Yeah, with the kite on the front. Yes, what it's was it called? Out of print now. What Life is too important to be taken seriously. Yes, and that was more about like, wasn't it about introverts? In no, or no? no. Okay, never mind. Just the book. The funny thing is, I wanted to write a book on introverts. Oh, and I thought it was at the one. same time as I was also looking at the idea for my second book, and they didn't publish. They, I was more excited about the introverts book and they took my other idea instead Jerks. but I prayed that somebody would write a book on introverts and somebody did and he quotes me in that book nice. which is really cool I'll never be quoted in a book never um. Um, anyway so the first book is called Life is Too Important to be Taken Seriously and it's um, the subtitle is like Kite Flying Lessons from Ecclesiastes so like how to find freedom when you know that everything is meaningless and super often awesome like uh, Seinfeld references right oh it's got too many <laughs> Seinfeld so, references so it's cool. so dated the late 90s was awesome for Seinfeld yeah I think there might even be a Frasier reference oh nice wow so really the dates smartest, it the smartest TV show ever um, yes. making a mess and meeting God that yes. was your next one? Yep. Which is also out of print. Which I probably run at least all of my, uh, or small groups I've ever led, or a lot of times church on Sundays, I will just steal. Oh, like, great. That's look at this is a good idea, guys. I, got, <laughs> I still use it. I, it's like one of my, especially if I'm like, okay, what am I going to do this Sunday? I will just, does she have any reference to this Bible verse even slightly oh, in here? Oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad you um, it. It's totally true. It's all messed up and wrinkled and it's a good one. It's a, it's a mess. Yes, as uh, it should be. And then after that... The Vulnerable Pastor. The Vulnerable Pastor, that's right. Which... Which is, is not out of print. It's not out of print. Yet. That just was last year, right? The uh-huh. sermon... Did you do a sermon at TCU based on that? At yes. chapel? Yes. It was one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Exactly. Ever. Really? Ever. Yeah, he loved it. I quote it, it all the time. On a regular... That's the one where I start with a confession of all my weaknesses. The, uh, the, what's Paul's phrase there? Bragging Boasting in, a, in boasting weakness. It's, it's the most... It's on par with... There's like four or five things in my life, ministry-wise, that become anchor points and that's one of wow them. that's encouraging to me as somebody who has never been taught how to preach it's very strange for me to be doing tell it them, tell them what you don't tell them what you yeah them. well in a way i guess it's good because i don't have to unlearn some of those things right. but at the same time like i'm learning to i was learning to preach in my 30s mm. on like by preaching right and so um just uh, to hear feedback that it that actually is meaningful is helpful at chapel that day? Yeah. I kind of heard you talk, but I never heard you. It, the, the idea has become one of those ideas that I use in yes. multiple... Boasting in weakness? Yeah, in multiple areas. Like, it's, it's the constant thing that I talk about. I talk about with my kids. I talk about it in ministry as an example. It's it's rare anymore that I find an original thought. Hmm. And that was original thought that... It was Paul's thought. <laughs> but yeah. it made me go home and rethink a bunch of other things. Yeah. So, it, so it, it's worked its way through other things. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, because it's like, it challenges everything that we've ever right. been taught in this culture well, of strength. And we both do that. We both have said early on, we're not here to be role models in the sense that we're going to do everything right. right. We're not, we're going to disappoint you at some point. So <laughs> let's just get that over with early. That's true. 
so that we can walk together. But it doesn't matter. People still look to us anyway. Like yep. that. Uh, interesting enough, that's the same chapel that like the president of the school stepped down. <laughs> Trump, you're serving. I, I, I never. I didn't tell you this, but I actually had five times when I was praying about the future of the school, heard God say, "On the day you preach in chapel." Wow. And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Like, of course, I thought that meant, like, I'm going to preach a sermon and it's going to change the school. Boom. <laughs> but no, there I'm... you go. Five minutes after I sat down. Awesome. That was really, really awkward. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Mandy Smith, check out her church. It's probably cooler than ours. <laughs> <laughs> now the band is going to play us off. You motherfuckers need Jesus. In your wicked ways.